Welcome to the Media Mavens Podcast, brought to you by the Evergreen Network. The Media Mavens Podcast is where you'll hear the latest and greatest trends, topics, and tribulations with industry leaders. And here is your host of the Media Mavens Podcast. She is the original Media Maven, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller, CEO of Access Entertainment and your host for Media Mavens Podcast. I'm here today on a lovely Tuesday with my co-host, Joe Pirates. What's up, Joey? And here in Tucson, it's a lovely day, but (laughs) we're acting like Amarillo right now where the wind is always blowing. And it's kind of like maybe I should start talking about Oklahoma where the wind goes sweeping down the plane. Sorry. I feel like I'm, we need to have you. I think we feel like we need show Broadway, a Broadway tunes. There uh, we podcast. go. Oh my hey, God. I was in Oklahoma at one time when I was in college, believe it or not. I was there an actor. Oh, there you go. Voice of God and actor. Which I was really, rowdy. So we're going to stay within the Hollywood sphere of acting. Not really. Ooh. But I got one of my favorite people I've actually known forever, Michael Kaliski. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Good to be here. I'm so happy you're here. I haven't seen you in a while. It's been crazy with COVID, but I'm so excited. And I'm only making fun because you're at the Henderson Studios where I've done way too many events at. I have known you for so long. I don't even know how far back to go with this. But the one of the best things about you is you're so authentic and you are the founder and CEO of Good Planet Innovations, all about sustainability. And I know I've had a few dinner parties where you were the one telling me, Forget the plastic solo cups, get the little glass jars, except I wasn't going to wash 30 glass jars, but it's all about sustainability. It always has been. So what are we like? I haven't talked in a while and I'm glad you're here because we, Joey and I just had a great podcast interview and we've had some really good people on sustainability, conservation, literally from the ground up to the guys up in space, working with NASA and all the space sustainability and commerce. But like, I know Good Planet's been around and I know your big thing has always been to get these studios to be more sustainable versus throwing away all the trash on sets. But you have evolved so much since we've last chatted. And I don't even know where to start with you. So like, tell us where, where are we at with Good Planet besides being better people every day? Thank you, Sarah. That's a great intro. Well, we started Good Planet Innovation uh, 10 years ago and it was uh, the original seed of the idea was coming from film and television as a producer geared, you know, productions geared towards humanitarian environmental issues. I realized that getting mainstream audiences to see those niche films was a real challenge because most of the people that go to see a movie about the environment or about humanitarian issues, they're usually people who already care about those issues. So I had this idea to integrate sustainable and ethical and issue-based behaviors and products into mainstream film and television. Figured if we get out James Bond drinking out of a reusable water bottle, that'd do more good than a thousand documentaries about plastic pollution. So right after we started the company, a big advertising agency, you know, brought us on board to, to green all their commercials for one of their big clients. And so we did that for three years for this one, you know, really big client did like tons of commercials and uh, realized that we could really make an impact there as well. So the way it's kind of evolved is at least with the advertising industry, is it started off like just one-offs. Like, you know, once in a while, we get convince someone to try this out. They do it for the one shoot. And then it would be a whole other dog and pony show for the next shoot and the next shoot. So then we finally developed a partnership program. We partner with brands and production companies and advertising agencies across all their productions so that there's a shorthand. We can just go right into it you know, make their productions green, but like just do them all so that that becomes their standard procedure. 
But again, you know, the climate is uh, crisis is, is happening too fast to do it one company at a time. So even though that was progress, it wasn't moving fast enough. So I started a nonprofit during the pandemic called Green the Bid. And so this is a nonprofit that is shifting the entire global advertising industry to sustainable practices. And so that's been a giant leap forward. And you have like over 100 companies that have pledged to make all their productions green. I mean, ranging from like Ford and White and Kennedy and, you know, like the big production companies. So it's really exciting. And we've got, you know, members from all over the world now, too. Got it. So, so Green the Bid is the nonprofit you created. So I'm looking at that. I was just going to ask you the difference between that and Good Planet. So, I mean, Good Planet's all about your work consulting on set to introduce sustainable. Obviously, if you get a James Bond guy, you know, in the movie or somebody to drink out a water bottle, for, that'd be great. But you, Green Bid, is this a nonprofit just for like companies to donate products or money to help support other industries? that are going green or did I get this backwards? Yeah. So the difference basically is a good planet innovation is a, like a consultancy and service company. So we get hired to help productions, you know, whether they're happening locally or remotely, we have a whole remote program where we, we can, we can help green a production anywhere in the world remotely. And we do that by researching what the local infrastructure is and then like training remotely people to execute the job, you know, after we put together a whole plan. And then putting it together, all the data and the photos and the information and putting it into a great report for the client. And this can happen anywhere in the world. So that's what Good Planet does. Now, Green the Bid is a, you know, it's like a resource hub and a, a community where brands, adver- and this is specifically advertising, you know, whereas Good Planet does film, television, advertising, big events. We did like the pilot program for Live Nation, the Green their concerts. We did the Global Citizen Festival for three years, 60,000 person concert. We've done all kinds of stuff. Wait, is how long ago? Because the citizens, we launched and did that when AG was a client of ours. We did three, the first four years, we did that concert in New York and Hyde Park. And I think it was right before you came in with Evan and those guys. I think we tailed out of that when they really changed the platform when you came in. But I got to tell you, the first few years of Citizen Project like in New York, the park was littered so yeah. much trash, so much. Like I literally, we walked out of there at the end of every event and the Coachella events. I'm like, dang, I feel bad for the parks and rec guys. There's a lot of trash and crap out there. So you came in and you're trying to get them to be not just throw away sustainable stuff in the right trash cans for recycling, but to kind of change from plastics to bottles or, and how are these guys, really, I mean, it was pre-COVID. Totally get everything's changed since then. Were these bigger guys really adapting? Because what is the cost barrier for them to actually turn over from plastic to sustainable? There's a lot of stuff there. It's, I mean, I did it for three years for, you know, the pandemic and each year got better and better. It still has a ways to go. You know, like yeah. it's just, a, it's a, like turning a giant event like that, shifting it is, is a process. Is there um, a barrier to entry on the cost? Like if for somebody doing something big, because as you know, I mean, you've actually been a speaker. I think one of the years at Paramount, we do the MEAs. And we, I mean, you know, it's always a big deal about do we go sustainable? We're in our 14th year now, obviously, COVID. But going into spring next year, we'll do a big black tie. And when we did the bids pre-COVID, a lot of them was trying to give us an extra charge to say, we have an option now to go sustainable or to go the original route. So I, when we didn't do it because COVID, so we didn't do it last year. But 
I'm starting to see more different structures of fees for them to turn into the sustainable. Are you finding a um, barrier to entry more difficult because the expense to turnover, or is it just more of a covering your cost basis type of thing with these guys? For events, it's actually an opportunity to not only do the right thing, but also to raise more revenue for your nonprofit. Because you could sell a partnership, a sustainability partnership. And this is what I propose to Global Citizen, for example, is they could have you know, a water partner and a resource recovery partner, which is like compost recycling, you know, and a carbon offset partner, or they could have somebody come in for, you know, and handle all of it, you know, and you could be like sustainability powered by Samsung or, you know, like then just brand the whole sustainability thing. But you got to do it right because you don't want that partner to look bad. So you got to do it legitimately. It's definitely an opportunity for a nonprofit to either get more, more revenue for their cause. It's interesting. Yeah. We had a client heal the dream water pre-COVID for two years. And the whole thing was for every bottle of water you purchase, a percentage goes towards countries in need who don't have water resources. So it was a tremendous nonprofit arm to it to really give back to countries and people who didn't have fresh, clean water. Then halfway through, they pivoted from the typical plastic bottle to the recyclable plastic bottles because they were just trying to work hard. I mean, I mean, we all see it. We all do go like, like I don't drink soda. Like I hate... Like when you, even with certain water bottles, I always cut the plastic, the little, you know, the little plastic holders and stuff. And then, you know, so there's always things that we try to do, little things. I mean, everybody's got to do little things, lower your carbon footprints and stuff. But I also hate that. I mean, one of my biggest thing that I hate the most, my biggest pet peeve, I'm just going to air it out, is I go to Franklin Canyon a lot. You're at a lake, even when I was like snowboarding, I was skiing a month or two ago. And people just dump and leave their trash. They don't think it through. That trash is going to melt into the snow and animals going to get it, going to get sick. I mean, there's just a chain reaction to this stuff. And I absolutely hate there's a trash can two feet away. Don't be a lazy piece of shit. Go walk over, throw it away. Don't just throw it on the ground. And I literally, literally, and I'm not kidding, in Beverly Hills, saw some asshole in a pimped out his little Mercedes, like on his phone, look himself in the mirror, Throw down the window, put his hand out and dropped, dropped trash on the ground. It's not like, hey, I just threw a wad of gum out going 80 miles on the freeway. It sticks to a windshield, it sticks to a windshield. He literally dropped food wrapper trash right smack in front of everybody. We were all kind of slowed down a bit at a light. I literally took a photo of his license plate and I think I posted on Facebook. I think I blurred out his plates and I wrote, asshole, whoever knows this guy, talk to him. You don't do that. Yeah. Okay, that's no. my rant. Sorry. Yeah. You know, no, I, feel like, I feel like Robert Turstek on the whole COVID. Like, you know, he's very passionate about COVID. Like, like that's my rant. Don't be an asshole. We all have to live on this planet. Sorry, Joey. That was my yeah, early well, rant. You know, and, and because of COVID, you know, there's a, you know, been a, a kind of a step back and a lot of people are using single use stuff, which is, you know, usually just safety theater, you know, like, a, like a lot of this stuff. I mean, you can still use a reusable water bottle and fill it up safely, you know, but everyone, you know, like in the production industry went back to single use plastic water bottles, like immediately. And, um, Ease of use because but, it takes too much time to go wash something out. They want quick, easy that's yeah, but if you have your own reusable water bottle, yeah. you, you fill it up, it's nothing, no big deal. You know, so so when we are advising production companies during this period, you know, we pitch them the idea of using reusables safely. And then if they still can't, or these COVID officers, sometimes they're just like, they have their own ideas of what's safe and what's not. And so uh, 
will at least have them use single-use aluminum bottles instead of single-use plastic bottles. Because not so fun fact and a fun fact, not so fun fact, 90, over 92% of plastic is not recycled. So it ends up in landfills or the oceans or in nature somewhere. And then, you know, on the other hand, aluminum, 75% of all aluminum ever manufactured since the late 19th century is still in circulation, which is like this mind-blowing statistic, which I can't even believe. It's, it's pretty amazing. So aluminum is very recyclable. It's still better to use reusables, but if you have to, aluminum still has to get mined. And when it gets recycled, it uses energy and puts, you know, so it's not perfect, but it's way better than plastic. Let me ask you with, and this is not going to be a rant or anything, but it really kind of knocks me down when I see Starbucks being one of the largest companies on the planet, being supposedly one of the more, you know, eco-friendly companies. They don't recycle. And that just blows my mind. I, every Starbucks sure I've been to, they don't recycle. But are you sure? Because you always see little recycled things in mm -mm. the Starbucks. No, I haven't seen one yet around here at all. I've seen one in L.A. And it just seems like, you know, people who want to be eco-friendly are just fighting this battle right now with with companies. And it just that they're using right now COVID as an excuse for not doing a lot of reusables. Yeah. Well, yes. I mean, pretty much Starbucks in any place that's like fast food or fast drinks, their single use policies are pretty bad. I mean, you know, a Starbucks cup is lined with plastic. It's not compostable because it's got this plastic lining inside the cup. You know, the tops don't really, you know, recycle, you know, the little stirs and straws, like all of it is generally going to go to landfill. And then, and that's a shame. I mean, once we're past COVID, you know, if you want to get Starbucks, I encourage everyone to have a reusable coffee, you know, thermos that they bring with them. And, you know, they give like this little tiny discount. I think you get like a 10 cent discount. They have to look beyond the cost of their cup and actually say like, you know, we want to reward people who are doing the right thing. They have enough profit margin to make that happen. I agree. And, and I used to do that here before COVID struck. I have a, I call it a Gronk cup, a ice shaker. And I use that and it's a 30 ounce and I, you know, instead of getting a Trenta, I would get that and now they refill it. But I'm, I'm hoping it goes to that soon. Is there a, a problem with actual recycling in the United States? I'm, I'm finding more and more people are stopping doing that because one, it's cost prohibitive, as they say, they don't look at the long term vision of that. And also they say that foreign entities are not recycling at the rate that uh, we want them to. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's a lot that's wrong with recycling. It's better to do it than not do it. If you're, if you have something that's recyclable, you should still recycle it, not try to throw in the trash. You know, it's, it's the third of the three R's. It's like reduce, reuse and recycle. Those are the those, like, and there's actually like, if you run a dig deeper, there's like 20 R's. It's a whole list. But these, but those are the three big ones, you know. So, like, first of all, just like, do you really need this thing? You know, do you, you know, do you, do you have to go to Starbucks? Do you have to go to these places? Like, just make it at home. Like, you know, like there's there's a lot of things you could do yourself to like reduce the amount of things you're buying in general, whether it's clothes or drinks or whatever. And then reuse, you know, like anything that you can reuse, like you know, use reuse your pasta jars, as, you know, as a container for for things. You know, like go start buying a bulk at the grocery store. And use the jars that you used to have for other things as the containers for those bulk things, you know, whether it's rice or oats or whatever it is, you know, so you can save that and use reusable bags for that. And then, uh, and then recycles last, like if you're stuck with something else, but, but be careful with, with these plastic industry has done a very clever and nefarious thing with their communications. 
So it, back in the early 70s, that recycle symbol, which is three arrows kind of chasing themselves around, that was, the, that was a recycle symbol. And then the plastic industry basically copied it. It's not the recycling symbol for them. It's just a indicator. It's that it doesn't mean it's recyclable. It just means it's it's just where they put the number to identify. It's a plastic identifier, and they they lobby to make sure that it's on every single plastic thing, whether it's a toy or something you know, or or a food container, whatever it is. It's got to have that little triangle, and it's fooled everybody into thinking, oh, this is of course it's it's recyclable because it's got the little triangle on it. But really, only like a couple of those numbers are consistently recycled, and the rest of them are are not. And even if they are recycled, they're downcycled. You know, so a plastic water bottle, and there's been some really sketchy advertising around this too. Like I forget if it's this Nestle or one of these big corporations who like I see this, you know, plastic water bottle as a resource, and like this bottle is going to turn into another bottle. So like, you know, what it plants in your head is like, oh, it's like I'm doing no damage at all because I'm going to drink this. Send use plastic bottle, put it in the recycling, and it's going to pop out magically as a new bottle. No, it gets downgraded into like a car part or a toy. And then that plastic doesn't turn into anything but junk because it can't be reused again, you know, or melted down, turned into anything else. Gotcha. So it's really, you know, do you, do you guys remember that litter commercial with the Indian who was crying at the end? Iron Eyes Cody. Yep. Yeah. Actually, that was an Italian guy playing the role. It was like not even a Native American. Oh, funny. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Now you're going to tell me the most interesting man in the world is not very interesting. <laughs> yeah. I met him once, actually. He's a really nice guy. <laughs> Before that job, he was living on a boat in Marina del Rey. And then, uh, bingo. Yeah. So that whole commercial was put together by the plastics industry to take the heat off of them for like producing all this plastic junk and making it the problem of the people you know, individuals, what they do with it afterwards. Like, oh, it's your, you know, you can solve this by not littering, you know, as opposed to plastic industry, like, no, you can solve it by not creating all this junk. Oh. So, so they, they purposely made this to take the onus off of them and put it on the consumer. That's Oil industry has done that. That's what all could be commercial guys do. I mean, look at the tobacco, the chicken and cigarettes. Hey, it's your fault. You know, be smart, only smoke, smart responsibly, but we're creating all of the tobacco that's getting people sick killing people, vapes and stuff. It's like they're making so much money. They're putting the ownership on ye, the people, the masses, but they're producing. It's like, okay, this is going to get super weirdly political. So we'll keep it on the surface. It's like, because I don't know how anybody's going to feel about this, but it's like the gun manufacturers, they're blaming. It's not the people who make the guns. It's the people who pull the trigger, but you're giving them something to use. I don't know. I think this is such a, a bigger psychological conversation but most of these big companies are the same way they're making money and they're giving the masses of people all of this stuff but you choose the worst of both evils we don't we're just giving you the gun and the bullet pick which one you want so i understand that whole thing with from the little commercial you know but i think a lot of companies are doing that which is it's sad because there's no ownership there's nothing that they're doing to take a stand to and it's not i don't i don't know the cost but i think it would be long-term financially prudent of them to create like the straws. People are trying to go, I always want to do a survey, paper or plastic on straws. I am all about a straw as a straw. The paper ones, they do kind of fall apart like halfway through and get all kind of gross. But I know plastic straws aren't good for the environment. But I feel like there's got to be more innovation and more ways to produce more things that have the same use 
very effective. The quality, they hold up the strength of what we're used to, but mm-hmm. they're better for the environment. And I just think it's got to start somewhere. And I don't know if it's the, you know, the politics, the money, the products can't be made with certain materials. I don't know where it starts and stops right now on the corporate level. Yeah. Well, I mean, even that uh, colleague of mine was just saying the other day that that, that whole straw campaign was, was also a way to deflect focus on the bigger plastic problem. So it's like like a point something percent of the, the plastic that's in the ocean. And so, you know, the plastic industry is going, yeah, yeah, straws, stop doing straws. So everyone feels good that they, oh, I stopped using straws, plastic straws. And then, you know, then they, they don't worry about all their plastic packaged food that they buy in the grocery store. I mean, it's like I, you're seeing oranges wrapped in plastic. You're seeing celery cut and put in a plastic box. And it's nuts. Like all the plastic that people are, you know, average consumers are, are buying at the grocery store or in their, you know, when they're getting takeout, they get all the utensils and you know, they, and they're going to eat it at home where they have silverware. They thought they do one small thing here. The rest of it will counterbalance itself. And that's not true. But this is why I love the farmer's market. There's a particular one I love here because I'd rather go to the farmer's market to grab. I mean, you're supporting the farmers anyways because you don't need all the bags and plastic and stuff. And I always do produce from farmer's markets for a plethora of reasons. But a quick question for you, Michael. I, and I know you and Joey were talking about you know pre-COVID compared to during COVID. During COVID was a little bit different lifestyle. We couldn't go out for a long time. We were on lockdown, you know, whether it's people, were people getting more conservative in their use of plastics and trash and stuff during COVID as opposed to pre-COVID? And are we going to keep adopting that or do you think it's going to change back or get better or worse post-COVID? Well, it's definitely getting, it wasn't, definitely wasn't close to good enough, but it was getting better before COVID. And then it all sort of reverted to, you know, pre-eco-consciousness levels of just like single use everything. But there is a, you know, for example, on these productions, there's an eco-friendly way to do the single use if you have to do single use. So for example, you know, all the productions went to single use plastic and we Always encourage single-use aluminum if you can't do it. As far as like utensils, the knee-jerk reaction was to go to single-use utensils wrapped in plastic. So, you know, those little utensil kits with a knife, fork, and spoon wrapped in plastic. So we, on the productions we worked on, we would use bamboo utensils wrapped in paper. Equally safe, but 100% compostable. I like bamboo utensils way better. I have bamboo places at my pre-COVID, like dinner parties and barbecues. I always like... One, I like the way it looks. I like the feel of it. But I always love bamboo better. I think this sounds really bad, but they didn't make it a little bit nicer looking, fashionable. So you, I always wanted to use bamboo. Plus, it felt right because it was recyclable. Yeah, but yeah. A question for you, though, because of COVID, and I don't know if this is a, how to answer this or ask it, but we have a lot of medical waste. You know, you have all the millions of sites doing testing needles. So, and I don't know if there's any good way to, and there's no good way to handle injections and all the testing, but I feel like when it comes to the whole sustainability, that just turned us upside down because there was no choice but to use a plastic, the papers, and so much trash because we had to test billions of, I mean, globally, there was no way around that. I mean, where's your thoughts process on how, where that's going, or was that just a temporary thing and it's going to go back and shift because I feel like there's a lot of 
waste out there. And unfortunately, it was COVID. They did what they needed to do. They weren't worried about sustainability at that point versus just saving lives. Well, I think in terms of all the needles and stuff, I don't I don't really know a good solution to that. I think that would take a its own study. And I don't I don't deal with that with production, that piece of it directly. But on the mask front, you know, you can get reusable. I mean, the way to go is with reusable masks. And then you can put in a filter to make it stronger. You know, like you can, you can make it in 95 with a, with a filter in it. And then, you know, or, or equivalent, you know, you can make it pretty effective. And instead of these disposable ones that everyone uses, you know, they can use, you know, one, one or more a day. I've never used a disposable one yeah, myself. See, that's what I find so disgusting from a human standpoint. Parking lodge on hiking trails. I see people, I don't know if it, was, if it was an accident and you just had to grab them. Like when you go to the doctors, sometimes they only give you for checkup disposable ones. You know, you have to take them off and switch it. I get at one point, we all have to use a disposable in certain places. But I see them laying on the ground and it's not just trash, it's litter. The strings are attached that a bird or an animal could get trapped or tangled up in. It's germs. If anyone needs it, nobody wants to pick it up or go near stuff. Because I used to see people picking up, hey, there's a trash can picking up a bottle or whatever, because it's what you do. Get it off the street. But because of COVID, nobody's touching anything. So I feel like there's more trash out there than Normal. Yeah. I mean, there's space packs everywhere and it's, and it's really disgusting. And there's tons in the oceans and it's pretty terrible how people are just flinging these things around. I have a friend who just posted a little Instagram story where she was went on a hike, long hike, and picked up like three full bags of trash and, and at least one of the bags of face mask. It was like the equivalent of one bag of face mask. And yeah, she was like, and but she had a grabber. She had one of those like trash yeah. bags. But she wasn't touching any of it. But it goes into the education. People are just so selfish. This is going to get such a kind of twistly gross podcast right now. But when I used to do Runyon Canyon, people, you know, like pick up your dog crap, you know, put it in little bags and throw it away. Plastic bags. I don't know if they're recyclable. But people are like, oh, I put it in a bag and they just drop it on the street or they drop it on top. It's like, what do you do? It's like, it's like what is wrong with humans? Because I used to thought, during COVID, the early days of COVID, a year ago, I would go hiking or I'd go for big walks with actually a mutual friend of yours of mine, Phil Ashcroft, who lives around here. And we'd go on these long hikes and walks. And it's like the air was cleaner. The, I'm like, oh my God, all the flowers, like fat, bumpy squirrels. There was no humans, no cars, no smog. And I feel like at the end of the day, it was horrible we were going through, but it gave the planet a rest to breathe, to regrow, to what it needed to do. So I was always hoping when we come back, People won't destroy the beauty because a lot of posts and a lot of people, and I was the first one like, oh my God, those flowers are amazing. I didn't notice that or it's so green. And I saw more squirrels and stuff and life because people were not on the street. They were sequestered at home. They weren't throwing trash. They weren't going out. And I felt like it was cleaner. The air, everything was brighter and prettier during a pandemic, which was kind of the flip side of it. But I was always hoping when we go back, people would understand and appreciate the beauty of what they never realized before and worked harder to sustain that. And I don't know if that really was just a six, seven month little bubble that we were all in where people are just backtrashing the planet again. Yeah, they're pretty much backtrashing the planet because uh, flights are back up almost to normal. During the actual middle of the shutdown, 
globally, we only reduced our carbon output as a species by five to seven percent. Like you would think that it would be a much bigger cut during the first shutdown, like a year ago from like what March until June, July. It was dead quiet on the planet. There was yeah. no humans anywhere. But, but but industry is still going on and shipping is still going on. And all, you know, these factories are still pumping out stuff. And people yeah. are buying things on Amazon, you know, and, and coal-fired plants are still cooking along to make electricity for people. And, you know, it's like it was still, most of the things were still happening, except for flights. You'd think that there would be a bigger cut. I was surprised to find out that number myself. It was it didn't make as big of a difference, which also shows that like as individuals, we certainly have we should live responsibly, but really the big industries have to take a, a look at what they're doing because they can they can move the needle in a in a way that we as individuals have trouble doing, which we should still do because we're still part of it. And we are also but you know, like where we can we as individuals have power is where how we vote with our dollars, you know, and just buy more sustainable things, buy less things in general, you know, eat cleaner diets, you know, eat plant-based, you know, like the animal agriculture industry is a huge polluter, you know, not to mention that, you know, it's cruel to the, all the animals that have to live in those conditions and then be killed. But on a, you know, just on the environmental front, animal agriculture is, you know, pretty devastating to the environment because not only are cows and other animals off-gassing like, or, you know, are creating methane, and but they're also clear cutting rainforests to make grazing lands. So, like the Amazon's just being cleared at a, at an alarming rate, wiping out habitats, which is one of the reasons going back to COVID that we have this pandemic because we're we're encroaching on habitats for animals and animals that normally wouldn't mix with people or mix with each other in in a way that's causing these diseases. That wouldn't happen if we weren't encroaching on their on their land and eating you know these animals. I mean. HIV came from bushmeat. You know, there's the swine flu, you know, mad cow disease. These aren't called like mad rock disease or, you know, or, or plant flu. You know, they're almost all this stuff is coming from animals. So, so, you know, we got to like wake up. You know, there's so little coverage of that, you know, the cause of this. It was all like, oh, China, oh, lab, oh, you know, secret government conspiracy whatever it was that nobody talked about like, wait, this came from animals mixing. We shouldn't have mixed their blood in a sloppy, you know, wet market. And you know, maybe we should have less, less wet markets. Let, maybe yeah, I, should, I saw a thing. There was a huge, huge organization. I forgot the name of it. I got it. Um, try to find it. They are an organization that is over in these parts of the world in China. And they're the ones that are trying to figure out all these exotic animals, trying to figure out ways for sustainability for the people to survive but to shut down the wet markets. There's actually science groups that are deployed for these reasons. You know, like you're saying, the wet markets, you know, the mutated cells from one animal to another that are not normal or people are getting sick. And I know there's a lot of, not a lot, but there are some sciences and groups out there, organizations that travel to these areas to test, to find out which animals can never be in those situations to try to prevent these pandemics and everything, which is crazy. But I don't want to get into all of that because, you know, I'm a huge animal lover, which leads me to a question I have for you. But I would think this kind of to roll back a sec. Amazon, we've all, uh, Amazon killed it. Let's just be honest. Amazon killed it because everybody was ordering so much volume. And I know Amazon has the commercials. We're giving back millions of food to families in need. But everything from Amazon, because I had three Amazon packages come today, are all plastic, all bubble wrap. 
all cardboard. I haven't seen, I've seen Amazon, I mean, they've taken a stand on the space programs. They took a stand on giving meals to people who need it. I have never seen them as a largest multi-billion dollar company of shipping whatever you want, whenever you want. I've never seen them take a stand on sustainability, recycling, and where all of that crap is going with these boxes. I find that interesting. Of all the people, they don't take any stand on that. And I don't even know the numbers. I don't know. I mean, there has to be an outstanding number of how much plastic in boxes get shipped daily because of Amazon. And they don't do anything to recycle it. I think Amazon is the one that has to take a stand and start that in addition to us being our problem. Yeah, I mean, they all do. And then, and then I guess, you know, I, I am seeing a lot of encouraging shifts at, at corporate levels, you know, some more genuine than others, you know, but you know, they're, they're making increasingly making commitments. But you know, some haven't kept their commitments. I mean, they're, you know, I read a lot of books. And like one I was just reading was about big tech companies commitment to be, you know, like in 2010, they were going to be completely carbon neutral by 2015. And then nobody held them to it. And then like in 2015, there's, you know, or 2017, they're like, oh, we're going to be completely carbon neutral by 2022. It's like the exact same promise, but they hadn't made any progress really. You know, and so you got to watch out for some of that. And, you know, which ones are really doing something which aren't. Oh, Tesla and Prius. No, no, no. There's a few others that are doing electric cars now. Wait, Joe. Uh, Lucid. Lucid's one. Wait, what's uh, Lucid? Wait, a car? Yeah, Lucid's a car. It's going to be in produ- it's in production right now. It should be released within this year. But again, I, I can almost see what Michael's going to say about that. What do you do with the batteries once they're done? Uh-huh. Well, I think they're a step in the right direction. They're much better than fossil fuels. But, you know, there's a few factors that you have to and they ha- they do have a life after the car. They don't just come out of the car ten years later. They last for like ten years in the car, supposedly. But you know, they they then get used for lighter duty stuff. They they get used for like for power for homes and such. You know, so they so they you know they're not being used to accelerate a vehicle you know from zero to sixty and you know in five three seconds. And then they they just need to turn keep the lights on. So then they have life for a while longer. I think they need to get better on, you know, the materials they source for the batteries and all that. But as, you know, I have an electric car. I've had electric cars since 2014. But I get my, where you get your electricity is an important thing. So, you know, as individuals, we can check with our power provider and see if they have a green energy plan and switch to that. That's a starter. If you can, if you own your home and can get solar installed, that's a good thing too. So my, you know, here on the Henson Studios, where my office is, we have a bunch of car charging stations and they're all plugged into a solar grid that's on the roof of the soundstage. So, you know, I'm powering my car with solar, which, you know, as good as you can get pretty much. But so what, uh, about, what about phones? I want to go through the list with you before enough time of everything that's of issues. Okay. So cars, brilliant. Like I did. Look at the source, green energy. What about cell phones and like tablets and computers? What about, where's your thought of the recycle issues with those. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the more frustrating policies by tech companies is planned obsolescence, where they make a device that is going to be useless or, you know, relatively useless in two to five years. You know, I've had to upgrade my computer every five years. Some people do it more often, some people do it less often, but five years is when, like, I feel like the computer I was using is bumping up against constraints to keep up with the software that's been developed. 
And phones, you know, people tend to replace those more often. And, you know, the, the, the phone companies do have like exchange deals and they, they take them and then I think they refurbish them and either resell them or donate them. But if the thing is broken or can't be traded in, then there are a lot of organizations that will, you know, properly recycle or upcycle the device. So you can bring it to, you know, vetted and certified e-waste recyclers and they'll, first of all, see if it's salvageable to be used as the thing it was made to be, and then either donate those to schools or, or sell them, or they will take all the useful things and the valuable things out of it so that it doesn't, that stuff doesn't end up in, in landfill. But definitely one shouldn't throw their e-waste in the trash. And this includes batteries, light bulbs, you know, any electronics. It seems like your background, you, you've worked with a group that, that helps abused animals, and then you're using your media experience to now go towards recycling and, uh, and green usage. Let me ask you, is it kind of like banging your head against the wall sometimes of trying to get people to get the message? I mean, sometimes I suppose it feels like that, but usually I just, I, I know that everyone is at different places in their evolution. And anyone who's just like, doesn't believe in climate change at all, or, you know, thinks that God will make it better, or, you know, like, I, I've had that conversation, you know, where it's like, well, Jesus won't let man hurt the planet. I'm like, okay, yeah, we're not going to get anywhere with this conversation. You know, there's people who think the world is actually flat. You know, you're probably not going to have a great result in spending time talking to them. So, you know, but the, there's a lot of people who just like, who care, but don't know, or don't, you know, don't know what they don't know. And then you start to shed the light and they come around a little bit at a time. You know, some people come around real quick and, and full on. And that's really exciting when that happens. You know, whether it's people I'm working with in business or personal friends or family. But yeah, I mean, I have family members who have never shifted at all. And then I have family members who incrementally shifted. I don't have any family members who got it and did it, but it's educating. Yeah. You've got it. And, and in the non preachy way, as you put it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I find it much more effective and less frustrating to, to come from a place of inspiration and education rather than shaming guilt and negativity. Like I, you know, I, I like you mentioned, I'm, I'm involved in environmental groups, environmental groups, animal rights groups, you know, but I, I've never really enjoyed, you know, like not that we're there to enjoy, but I've never, I never felt I was doing much good at animal rights you know, anti-fur rally outside of a store where people are like spraying, I would never do this, but like putting red paint on somebody who's got, you know, going like murderer and, you know, yelling at people. Like they're not going to go like, oh my God, I see the light. You know, thank you. Thank you for housing you red paint because now I, I totally get it. I'm going to turn new leaf. You know, the more effective approaches at these kinds of things has been more handing out some information or saying, can I talk to you for a minute about this? And just like having a conversation with people about, whatever it is, you know, the, the, whatever the issue is. Are you still involved with the Gentle Barn? I am still a supporter of them, but I rolled off the board in about a year and a half ago. So the Gentle Barn, Joey, it's a this, like ranch, this place up north, north LA, where they rescue cows and goats and all these animals that have been abused or being just whatever the situation. And it's open to the public for kids to do nice events or to come like a big open 
petting zoo, but they're there to rescue all these animals. Is that correct, Michael? Yeah, they're an animal sanctuary for farming. Yeah. And it's it's also, you know, place, you, you pretty much nailed it. It's like also about education and engagement. They do, before COVID, they would have Sundays would be open to the public and people would go there and the founder would talk to everybody, you know, to different groups of people. Yeah. You know who does that now? Who? John Stewart, former host of The Daily yep. Show. Yep, yep. John Stewart does it. I think he's in, uh, you know, Gene Bauer, a friend of mine, uh, started a farm sanctuary and may have even worked with uh, John a little bit on that. But yeah, there's some really lovely places like that that are doing this kind of work. But, but I think it, it's, you know, they always say that comment, it takes a village, but it yeah. really does. I mean, we know from these like the Gentle Barn, you know, John Stewart, celebrities, companies, you know, making a difference to shift the mindset down to these conservation scientists that we've talked to on the podcast that are saving jaguars and lions and tigers. I mean, it really isn't a solo effort. It is a village, a team. It's like everybody has to do better on a daily basis. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm so glad you came to join us on our podcast today. It's always good to talk about how to be a better person and everything. But Michael, we're running out of time. So where is a good place for everybody to find you now on your website or what are the two websites again? You have the nonprofit and you have Good Planet, yeah. right? Yeah. So uh, goodplanet.green is my company and Green the Bid is at greenthebid.earth. Oh, okay. I like let's it. Make, let's Earth. hope that uh, more people pick up on this and, and be able to do that because I, I like what you're doing in productions and, and you know, you're just an all around good guy, Michael. Thank you. Thank you. Well, our goal is to make this, you know, both from Good Planet's goal has always been this and green the bid which is newer our goal there is also to make you know sustainable and regenerative practices like sustainable is like let's keep everything as it is and make it less not not any worse but regenerative is actually let's give back and make the world better which is what we want to get to but i usually just use the word sustainable in general because everyone knows what that word is but when you start the name to regenerate that's like the next level that's where we should head but to make these practices standard. So we're not even talking about sustainable production or sustainable living. It's just normal. Like, you know, like, like, let's say like you were on a production and they had a stunt. They had this guy falling off a roof onto a pad. You wouldn't be like, oh man, we did this stunt last week and it was a totally safe production. We had a stunt coordinator and rigging and a stunt man and, and a pad for him to land in and medics sitting there was totally safe. You wouldn't even talk about any of that because of course it was. And if it wasn't, you talk about that. So like our goal is for in a couple of years for us to not talk about sustainable production, only if it's not sustainable. You're like, oh my God, I worked on a shoot last week and it was totally like old days, like not sustainable. That's where we're heading with this to make it part of the way we live. It's the redefining what sustainable means is keeping everything the same, but we can't stay the same. It's kind of like we're coming out of hopefully coming back to a real world of COVID. We're regenerating, we're rebirthing, we're renewing a way to be better, to live better, to be better, to be safer on a human level. But what we cannot forget is we've got to continue to do better than ever on the planet, on everything else we do, on a livable. So I'm like we're driving off a cliff at 80 miles an hour and it's not really going to change the outcome if you go 30 miles an hour. Yeah. You know, (laughs) so we have to actually stop and back this bus up. Oh, my God. It was so good having you on the show, Michael. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about this. 
It was definitely educational. And it's something that I think we yeah. will definitely start promoting more because we do want to help you get the word out as well and everything. But I so appreciate you coming on. Joey, another good day of podcasts. Oh, yeah. I like this stuff. Are you recycling now? Is this I always recycle. Oh, but I, no, I was just st- stunned about the Starbucks. I mean, it's just maybe they do that elsewhere. But every Starbucks that I've been to here in Southern Arizona doesn't happen. So I, I went off on my rant. I'm sorry, sir. I was supposed to leave you with a rant. <laughs> I did have one or two good ones on this yes, of how did. I feel. But it's all about telling our story, having a voice, getting it out there, affecting at least somebody on the other side of it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, oh my God, guys, thank you so much. It was so awesome having you on Meet and Maven's podcast. And we'll see everybody next week. Thanks, Bye. Man. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Media Mavens podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or download past episodes, subscribe to the Media Mavens podcast on your favorite podcast provider or on the Evergreen Podcast Network. To learn more about the podcast or our guests, log on to www.mediamavenspodcast.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.